We just came out of a great series, did we not? Uh, Looking at the Sermon on the Mount, all these different teachings of Jesus. And the overarching theme we gave to those was this idea of living the life. Now when I hear that idea of living the life, I get excited because of course I want to live the life. I want to enjoy my life. I want to live the way that I was designed to live. Uh, And so we looked at Jesus' teachings and and spoke to this reality that if God is our creator, if God is the one who knows how we're to get the most out of life without blowing it, that it's the teaching of Jesus that we need to sit under and receive. But there's another element of Jesus' teaching that if I'm honest, I get a little... um, I don't know, I kind of want to stay away from it a bit, you know? There's, there's things that Jesus said that makes me uncomfortable. There's things that Jesus says that, that cause me to pause. There's things that Jesus says that I'm like, well, I really like these things you said, Jesus, but some of this other stuff, I'm not so sure. But for us as disciples of Jesus, as people who want to live our lives the way that God has designed us to, We have to realize that we can't just take parts of what Jesus has to say and reject the other things. We can't pick and choose like a buffet, the best course of of how I'm going to live the best life. Because the best life comes to us when we consider everything that he said. Now this morning we want to talk about evangelism or sharing our faith. Our mission statement at TCC is that we would know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share with Jesus, and share Jesus. So when we talk about knowing Jesus, it's kind of this intellectual or experiential processing of of coming to know uh, who God is in a deeper way. So we come to church on Sunday, we engage in worship, and uh, we experience God. We learn more about Him. But we recognize that that in and of itself isn't enough. It, It needs to go from our heads to our hearts. And so we talk about walking with Jesus. Which is this reality or this expression that in my day-to-day life, in all the things I have going on, I am doing that with Jesus. My knowledge of him and my experience of him has permeated my whole life. I'm walking with him. But then the last part of our mission statement is that we would share Jesus. That the living the life that we're talking about is not something that would be contained to a, it's just me and God. It's just my spirituality, it's just my religion, but that we recognize that the life full that Jesus has for us is experienced as we become people who declare and lead and teach others about this life to the full. So how does that work? How do we go about that? Well, I've talked in the past about how I used to be a framer. I I spent years uh, building houses all around Calgary. And I can remember the day when my framing boss handed me the plans to a house, and he got in his truck and he drove away. And I'm like, whoa, like, what are you doing here, right? And he left me alone with the plans, with the materials, with the crew. We had about three guys working with us at the time. He left me alone with the zoom boom, if you can imagine. I only put gas in the hydraulic tanks once, and uh, that's a whole other story, but... He left me alone with all this, understanding that, okay, Adam, it's your turn to build the house. And day after day passed, and I was able to kind of fumble through this. And I can remember at the end of this project, standing in front of what used to be a hole in the ground. I mean, like, I did it. I built a house. You see, my boss was a good teacher. He taught me well. 
And at that time, he was sending me to go and do the work that he had taught me to do. He was sending me to go and do the work that he had demonstrated to me um, for all these years how to do. And it was my turn. And so when I think about evangelism or sharing my faith, it's helpful for me to remember that experience. Because here in Matthew chapter 28, in the text that Sid read for us, we have Jesus standing before his disciples and handing them the plans. Telling them, okay guys, you've been watching me for all these years. It's your turn. Go and be my hands and feet in the world. Go and be an evangelist. Go and tell others about me. When you hear this instruction from Jesus... How does that make you feel? What sort of emotions stir in you? Is it a sense of not being qualified? Is it a sense of fear? You know, in our culture today, we are just immersed in a society that is very hostile towards religion. People just are like, it's okay for you to believe what you believe, but don't tell me what to believe. We're in a culture that is very skeptical about claims of truth. And in a culture um, that is, is certainly does not want to be told what to think or how to live. But it's a culture that you and I find ourselves today. And it's to that culture that we're instructed by Jesus to go into and make disciples. So while we might want to shy away from evangelism or sharing our faith, we need, to do, we need to realize that when we shy away, we do that at the cost of obedience to Jesus. And we do that at the cost of really experiencing the full life that he has for us. So this morning, I want to unpack for us the ser- um, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount. My brain is like locked into the Sermon on the Mount, right? This morning, I want to unpack for us the Great Commission. Jesus' final words to his disciples where he looks at them and commands them that they need to go and continue doing what he was doing. And I believe that when we unpack this great commission, for for me as I've studied it, I've been so blessed. Because I'm finding it's disarming some of the fears, some of the hesitations, these things that I had. I'm actually, I'm getting more and more excited about sharing my faith. So we're going to look at this, and I believe there are three parts to um, the Great Commission. There's a declaration, a commandment, and a promise. You know, sometimes we get asked about three-point preaching. Why are all the sermons three points? So it's like, well, it's just how God wrote the Bible. So it's just all these sections are broken up into three points. So uh, that's where we are this morning. Um, I tried to find a fourth. I just couldn't. I'm just kidding. Um, But we're going to look at this. A declaration, a commandment. And a promise. And I hope that you, like me, will feel empowered in being someone who actively shares their faith. So Jesus starts off for us with a declaration of his identity and power. In verse 18, Jesus comes to them and says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's this all about? Well, here Jesus is making a direct allusion back to Daniel chapter 7. Now we have to remember, Jesus, um, there was all these questions around who is he? Who is this man? No one's ever taught like him before. He's, He's healing people with the touch of his hand. He's casting out demons. Who is this guy? 
Some people thought he was Elijah who had risen from the dead. Some people thought he was the Messiah. They weren't sure. So when Jesus is crucified on a cross, there's this sense of like, oh, maybe he wasn't the one. The Romans, they're still ruling us. Jesus must not have been the one that God was sending to redeem us from the Romans. And while all this speculation and all this questioning is still kind of going on, we have Jesus standing before his disciples, the people who are committed to him, and he makes this statement that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And here he is making this direct allusion back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, we have Daniel having this weird dream. And in the middle of the night, uh, he's, he's having this vision. And he says that, Behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God, and, he, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, he's saying, I am that son of man. I am the one that all people should serve. I am the one with the everlasting dominion which will not pass away. When he is making that statement, it is a profound, massively huge statement. I am God. I am all-knowing. I am everlasting. I am the one who knows how you're to get the most out of life without blowing it. I am the one by whom you should orient your life. I alone am worthy of your worship, your adoration, and your trust. Why? I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man. I am God. Everything else will pass away. When I look at our culture today, I see so many people running around putting their trust in so many things. I see so many Christians running around putting their trust in so many things other than Jesus. Looking for hope, looking for peace, looking for some sort of firm foundation. Our cultural narrative says that our, our sense of self, our, that within ourselves we're going to find some sort of satisfaction, but it doesn't work. People in general are not doing well. Friends, if we are going to give our lives to someone, it should be Jesus. I don't want to give my life or my trust or my allegiance to something that's going to let me down. I don't want to give my trust and my allegiance to something that's fading, that's temporal, that's going to pass away. I want to base my life on something that is solid, that is a rock. That is not here today, gone tomorrow. That is not the latest fad or trend. That is not the best way to think in this culture, in this time. I want to give my life to something that is everlasting, something that is eternal. And Jesus says, that is me. That is me. And so when we think about inviting other people to know Jesus, we need to invite others to live this life that God has called us to with the understanding of who Jesus is. Friends, when it comes to us sharing our faith, we need good theology. 
We need good theology. We need to understand that Jesus was not just a good teacher. We need to understand that Jesus did not simply say some great things. He wasn't just a prophet, but he was and is God. And so when we share our faith with other people, we're inviting them to know the one who is everlasting, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. I think that some of us don't share our faith with others because we have a weak view of Jesus. We don't really understand who he is. And if we have a weak view of Jesus, I... We're probably not really experiencing him in the ways that he desires us to in our day-to-day lives. You know, my dad was telling me a story. I was asking for an illustration on this. My dad's also a pastor. He's really good with illustrations. He said that when I was two years old, um, our basement in our, the duplex we lived in in Airdrie was, was having water issues. And water kept coming up in the basement. So my mom and dad had to set a timer, and every two hours, all day, all night, they got up and they wet-vacked out the basement. Can you imagine? And he's doing this until someone could come and help. So eventually a guy from the church comes, and he asks my dad the question, where's the drain valve? You know, my dad's like, what's a drain valve, right? And uh, they look on the floor, they find kind of this cutout in the concrete, and the guy opens up this little hatch and reaches in and twists something, and all the water just drains out of the basement. It's gone. You know, and my dad in that moment's like, that was there the whole time? (laughs) That was able to do this thing that I was doing by myself with all my efforts? Are you kidding me? You know, sometimes I wonder if Jesus is like this, this thing that sits in our lives where he's convenient at certain times. You know, he's, he's, you know, Jesus is part of my spirituality. He's part of my religion. You know, when I need some peace, I might pray. I go to church every once in a while. But friend, all all of that is a a small view of Jesus. We need to recognize that that Jesus, he speaks to every area of our lives. And for some of us, we need to come to that point of really understanding him for who he is. Like finding that drain valve. And when we do that, everything changes. So if we're going to be people who share Jesus, we need to have a good view of Jesus. So that's the first part of the Great Commission, a a declaration. The second is the commandment to make disciples. The commandment to make disciples. Now I want to get something out of the way right away. Um, Across all the commentaries and all the study I did on this, there is agreement that this command is for all of Jesus' disciples for all time, okay? Okay. This isn't just for the 12 apostles. This wasn't something that is locked in its context in a cultural moment. This was for the whole church for all time. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, all those things are synonymous. This commandment is for you. What is that commandment? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we are called to make disciples. You and I, if you are a Christian, you are called to make disciples. Part of being a disciple is that you make disciples. Francis Chan defines a disciple as one who makes disciples. And you might ask, well, okay, let's flesh this out. What is is a disciple? 
Uh, our friend John Mark Homer at Bridgetown Church in, in Portland, Oregon, he would say the word disciple is, is a little archaic and that in our context we might better use the word apprentice. It is an apprentice of Jesus. That is a disciple. Another pastor that I enjoy listening to talks about how, how a disciple is someone who spends their life looking unto Jesus. You spend your life looking unto Jesus. I love that definition of what a disciple is. Um, and so our task as apprentices of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, is that we would go and lead others into similarly being apprentices of Jesus, of being people who look at Jesus as this great teacher and submit their lives to him, understanding that he is God. And who are we supposed to make disciples of? Well, here in Matthew 28, Jesus says we need to make disciples of all nations. It's all people. No one in this is excluded in this command to make disciples. We need to make disciples of all people. So that is your neighbor. That is your coworker. That is the server at the restaurant. That is the checkout person at the grocery store. It's the person you walk past at the street. And then, yes, we can look at it in the global sense of this global mandate to do missions work. All people. Well, this raises another question, perhaps. Okay, if that's what a disciple is, how do we make disciples? Well, in, this, um, in the Greek in this passage here, we understand that the verb to make disciples is the, the main command. Make disciples. And so around that, we have three other verbs or three other commands that Jesus is inviting, inviting us into. The first is that we have to go. We have to actually go and do this. Be intentional. So intentionally engaged in this commandment. We go. We go and make disciples. Um, one commentator talked about how this phrase, go and make disciples, that we, we either think too much of it or we think too little of it. Thinking too little of it is, is getting into this idea uh, where it's like, well, you know, I, I, I just look for opportunities. When, when an opportunity comes up, I'll engage in, in evangelism. Um, Pastor Norb alluded to St. Francis's uh, famous quote of preaching the gospel at all times and, and when necessary, using words. You know, I think that's an amazing quote. There's a lot of good there. But the problem with it can perhaps come when it leads to a passivity in our evangelism or in our sharing of the faith. So any mentality that leads us to think that it's some sort of passive engagement, I believe is a misunderstanding of the word go. But then on the other hand, we can think too much of this command go when we start thinking that um, I got to like quit my job and engage in full-time missionary work. Or I got to go stand on a street corner and hold a sign that says uh, turn or burn. You know, these types of scary things. Or I need to like wander the streets yelling out at people that they need to be saved or they need to repent. And so between these two things where we have on one hand maybe a passivity and on the other hand maybe we have um, an over understanding of it. I believe there's a place in the middle for us to be people who are intentionally thinking about how can I make disciples? That we take this command of Jesus to go and we allow it to be something that orients our lives. That when we go to work, we have that person in mind that we're praying for. We have that person in mind that we're intentionally engaging in relationship with. That when we think of our families, we, we, we think about people who are, again, intentionally praying for. Seeking to, 
to have opportunities to share our faith with them. I think a good metric of it is the question of are you mindful or whether, of whether or not you're actually making disciples? Are you mindful of it? If the answer to that is no, then perhaps you think too little of the commandment to go. The second part of how we make disciples that Jesus points to is baptism. We're to go and baptize. Now this one I've always I've been like, is that like you wander around and dunk people in water? That doesn't sound very kind. Um, we have to understand that baptism is about, the, is about identification with Jesus and integration into the faith community, okay? This is what baptism is about. So in baptism, we go into the water and we, we kind of connect with the, the picture of the, the death of Christ. And we come out of the water and we connect with the, the image of the new life in Christ. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks about how we need to be born again of the Spirit. And baptism is this amazing image of that being reborn. We talk about baptism being an outward sign of an inward faith. So as we go, as we teach people about Jesus, as we share our faith, um, we, we lead them to a point where maybe they're saying, yes, I, I, wanna, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be an apprentice of Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And then we point them to something like baptism. But there's also this other element of baptism, where baptism is about integrating people into the faith community. Now, as, um, at a Baptist church, sometimes I think we think too little of this, if I'm honest. Um, we would do better to make a bigger deal of baptism. Now, we don't look at baptism as, as saying that you have to be baptized to have salvation. But when we are baptized, I'm looking over here because our baptismal tank is in the stage right here. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, but when people are baptized in the faith community, they're making a public declaration to all the other people in the room that I have indeed decided to follow Jesus. That I want to be identified with Jesus and I want to be identified with this community. I think sometimes we think too little of that part of baptism. That being baptized is a way that we become part of the Christian community in a profound way. As we make that public declaration of faith. And so in this, it's interesting when I think about this, because where does this begin for us as evangelists or as people who are sharing our faith? Well, I think the process of seeing someone become baptized, yes, comes through our, our sharing of our faith with them. But it's also in inviting them to church. Inviting them to come and, and experience this faith community. To say to them, hey, come and see. Come and see what Jesus up to in the in the midst of my friends come and see what it looks like to worship God together come and see what fellowship looks like and on that note I just want to encourage you you know Easter's coming up in two weeks and it, what a great opportunity to say to someone hey my church you know we have these this Easter service uh, you can watch it online you can come in person it's a it's a great opportunity to say to someone hey come and see come check it out so Jesus calls us to make disciples by going, to being intentional. He calls us to, to baptize people, which is to give them the opportunity to be identified with Jesus and integrated into the faith community. But thirdly, he calls us to teach. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You know, it's so awesome, like having just gone through the Sermon on the Mount. We ask the question, what did Jesus teach? Well, we just covered it so in depth. And as we read the, the biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
We are deeply exposed to the way that Jesus lived his life. The things that he said and the things that he did. And we can take this message of of what Jesus said and what he did and we teach it to others. Friends, this isn't solely the responsibility of a pastor or someone who's trained in theology. But Jesus here is passing that on to each one of you. That you would be someone who's able to speak to other people about what it is you believe. That you're able to teach others about Jesus. The things that he said and the things that he, things that he did. And this type of teaching um, in the Greek here, the, the word isn't simply about knowledge. But it's also about leading to obedience and conformity to what is being taught. So when Jesus instructs us to teach as part of being disciples as we teach, we also recognize that receiving teaching is part of what it means to be a disciple. That all of us, as we sit under the teaching of Jesus, the things that he did and said, as we study that together, we are made and conformed more into the image of Jesus. So if I was to summarize the second section of the commandment to make disciples, I would say that we are commanded to lead others into identity with and conformity to Jesus. It's what Jesus is calling us to here in the Great Commission. But there's still one more part of this Great Commission, and that's the promise. A promise that Jesus is with us. Now when I, again, think about evangelism, sharing my faith with people who don't know Jesus, you know, that can, sometimes it overwhelms me. But I was so blessed this week as I was studying this text to recognize that the commandment to go and make disciples, the commandment to do evangelism is sandwiched between these two other elements. That when Jesus commands us to go make disciples, he's saying that we do that in the context of knowing who he is, And knowing also that he is with us. We know who he is in that declaration. We know that he is with us in the promise. You know, this is one of those verses that we love to print off and and hang up on our walls or put on a bookmark, right? This, This verse of like, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But I think oftentimes we can separate it from its context. Jesus is telling us that he's with us in the context of sending us out to make disciples. As you go and make disciples, I am with you till the end of the age. So the fear and the nervousness and the hesitation that we might feel in being people who share our faith, I really feel like it should go like, ah, you know? Because Jesus, this giver of life, the one with absolute authority. It's him we're talking about, right? And that's a sure thing. And then in addition to that, as we go about it, his presence is with us. You know, I think about this, and I I can go back to my opening illustration. When I was framing my house, you know, framing this house, there's this recognition for me where I was able to engage in that process knowing that my boss was only ever a phone call away. That as much as I was building this house by myself with this crew, my boss was still the one with ultimate authority. He was still the one who was was making the final calls on major decisions. But in addition to that, he was only ever a phone call away. 
You know, sometimes I think that we get overwhelmed with evangelism because we think that it's our responsibility to to lead other people to Jesus. But that's a a poor understanding of the, the power of God's Spirit. In John chapter 16, Jesus teaches us and helps us to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people. (laughs) It's the Holy Spirit that leads people uh, to Jesus. And so as we are faithful in declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit who is faithful in working on hearts. Because that part is not our job. But we do all of this in the presence of Jesus, knowing that He is with us. So that's the Great Commission. A declaration, a commandment, and a promise that Jesus is with us. Now I want to look at two, two other texts just really quick to close. Um, helpful supporting texts for us as we consider um, this act of, of evangelism, this act of sharing our faith. The first is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I think something that's important for us to recognize, um, some of us get get nervous about, well, what am I supposed to tell other people? You know, when you say that I'm supposed to teach others what Jesus taught, like, that intimidates me. We think that gospel proclamation is the proper articulation of the Bible. And while there's truth to that, when Jesus here is asking the disciples or commanding them to be witnesses— What he's not telling them is that they need to go and regurgitate the Bible to other people. It's not about having this amazing understanding and and studying scripture and knowing it so well that every time you talk to someone you're just quoting chapter and verse. That is not what Jesus means when he tells them to be witnesses, I don't think. Um, And to be honest, in our culture, in our day and age, people aren't very open to you quoting chapters and verses. But what Jesus is inviting his disciples to is to share their what? Their witness. What does it mean to be a witness? It means that you have seen something happen. You have participated in something happen. So in the case of the disciples, they're able to say, man, I was with Jesus. Jesus said this. Jesus did this. Jesus, man, this Jesus, he's amazing. I've given my life to him. You should do the same thing. I was thinking about this this past week. You guys know the new Friesen Brothers grocery store has, uh, has, has opened up, right? Do you know how many people are witnessing to me about Friesen Bros? They're like, man, have you tried their pizza? Have you been to Friesen Brothers yet? The produce is amazing. Have you checked it out? The pizza. You got to try the pizza. I've had three people tell me I need to try the pizza from Friesen Bros. This message is not brought to you by Friesen Brothers. (laughs) We're developing an unfortunate trend here, Pastor Norb. Um, We easily share witness to other people about things in our lives. We do it all of the time. At the heart of sharing our faith is us taking our witness, the things that we've seen Jesus do in our lives and sharing that with others. So when you're talking to someone about the global pandemic and they're sharing with you the difficulty, the anxiety, the worry of their of economics, the, all this stuff, you can say, yeah, you know, I was really worried too. But, you know, my faith means a lot to me. And the more that I prayed about it, just the more peace I had. And now your friend might look at you and go like, well, that's really weird. (laughs) Or they might look at you and say, tell me more. And in the simple sharing of your story, of the way that Jesus is doing something in your life, 
You are now witnessing to someone else. You are a witness of Jesus to the very real, very present thing that's happening in your life. You're sharing your testimony. Now, do you notice how testimony in that case isn't you going back to, well, when I was 17 years old, I was at a gospel rally and I put up my hand to receive it. That's not what all that our testimonies are about. Our testimony is about what Jesus is doing in and through our lives today, here and now. That is our witness. Because what do we do when we get together with friends? We talk about our lives. We share our stories. As disciples of Jesus, part of our story should be about Jesus. Jesus is doing this and that in my life. So if you're struggling with what to share about your faith, you need to ask yourself the question, am I witnessing Jesus? Is Jesus actually real to me? And if the answer to that is no, I'm not actually witnessing Jesus, that's where you got to start. That's where evangelism starts for you. And maybe it's the simple prayer of Jesus, would you be more real to me? Jesus, I want to know you day in and day out. I want to I know your power in my life. And in addition to this, I think the discipline of witness sharing. It's not about, we don't, we don't need to go out into the world to share our witness. That's, I don't think that's where we need to start. We need to start here in our faith community. We tell one another about what Jesus is doing in our lives. We encourage one another with our stories. And as we get good at that in our own context, it becomes so much easier to do that in the world around us. The second passage is from 1 Peter, one that we're quite familiar with. 1 Peter chapter 3, 14 to 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And just some context to this. 1 Peter's writing, he's writing to a group of churches that are, are being persecuted. So he's talking to them about living the life that Jesus has called them to. So even if you should suffer for living that life, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, this passage is often used um, to, to talk about the basis for apologetics. And apologetics is, is kind of finding ways to defend our faith. So when critics come and say the Bible's not true, you, you should have an apologetic response to say why maybe, why we can trust the Bible. That's just one example. Um, this passage isn't about that type of apologetics, though that's where we get the word apologetics. This, this passage, again, comes back to the idea of witness. And it's this reality that when someone asks you about what you believe, when someone asks you about how you're handling the pandemic, if someone's asking you about why you live your life in a certain way, you have a response. I think this does require us to be somewhat fluent in the gospel, to understand what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. Because I believe that as we faithfully live the way of Jesus, our lives should look different and should cause other people to ask questions about our lives. My attention was drawn to an article written by um, a reporter named uh, Ben Sixsmith, and he was writing about uh, a, a pastor's moral failing in New York City, and in his article, he makes this observation at the end. He says that, still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. 
If they share 90% of my lifestyle, my values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to be more like them, it looks very much as if they want to be more like me. And that's from an article that was written in, in December of 2020. And friends, what a sad truth. <laughs> I think some of us aren't having opportunities to share the gospel because our lives just look like everyone else in the world. If we're living this full life that Jesus has called us to, we're going to look different. We're going to look different. And what Peter's getting at in 1 Peter is that when you look different, you know, people might persecute you. People might say bad things about you. But what does he say? Be ready to make a defense. To tell them about Jesus. He encourages us to persevere. So when we think about this past year as we've navigated over a year of pandemic, what would your coworkers or your neighbors see in you? How have you weathered these storms? And how does that bear witness to Jesus? How might your life be a testimony of the Spirit at God, Spirit of God at work in your heart and through His community, the church? As I began at the beginning of this message, I think it's so easy for us to think that Christianity is, is like, you know, it's, it just helps me live that good life, you know. <laughs> and it can become so much about us and God. But I hope you can see in the Great Commission this encouragement that part of the full life that Jesus has for us is in us sharing that with other people. And as we see in Christ who He is, and as we recognize that He is with us, I hope that you can join with me in being people who bear witness of Jesus. Friends, life to the full involves this. We cannot escape this element of being disciples of Jesus. Being a disciple means that we are making disciples. So may we be a church that not only knows Jesus and walks with Jesus, but may we be a church that shares him as well. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, and I thank you so much for your Sermon on the Mount, Lord, all these amazing teachings about the life that you have called us to. But Lord, thank you too that you invite us to be people who take your message, Lord, who, who look at your word and declare and share that with other people. So Lord, I pray that you would give us a fantastic vision of who you are. Lord, and that that would propel us to be people who are comfortable and confident in sharing of who you are. And Lord, help us too to know that you are with us. God, that as we engage in mission, you are with us. Help us to know that, Lord. We thank you. And God, we pray too that this desire to be on mission would be something that propels us deeper into our love and our knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.